Hello, you lovely lot. I wanted to take a moment to share an exciting announcement with you all. I will be doing a live show for Happy Mum, Happy Baby at the podcast show in London on the 22nd of May. This will be a live episode of this very podcast featuring me and a very special soon-to-be-announced guest. Get ready for a candid conversation, unfiltered truths, laughs, invaluable non-judgmental advice and lived experiences. Dive into the complexities of parenting while juggling work, relationships and personal growth and we'll be talking beyond the baby years. As well as the live episode, the show will also include a Q&A with both me and my guest. Tickets go on sale this Friday the 26th of April at 10am, but anyone who is part of the Happy Mum, Happy Baby newsletter will be getting early access to tickets on Wednesday the 24th of April at 10am. To sign up to the newsletter and for more information about the event, please head to happymumhappybaby.com forward slash events. I can't wait to see you there. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to another episode of Happy Mum, Happy Baby, the podcast. Um, today's guests, there, there are more than one for a start. There are actually three guests. Um, a couple of weeks ago, they shared a post to Instagram entitled To The Dope White Mum. Um, with everything going on right now, uh, it was interesting to have something focused on someone like me. Uh, and what that post did was really highlight a mother's role in everything that's going on right now and how we can have a massive impact on the generations to come, namely our children. Um, I then went on a massive rabbit hole and I was going through all the Instagram feed. I was then listening to the podcast. And here we are, three of the five women that are the Dope Black Mums. Hi! <laughs> How are you all? I'm good. I'm good. How are you guys? <laughs> I'm very good. I know we don't get to see each other that often. We're oh, like, hey. <laughs> we should say actually who we've got. So we've got Andy McKay, we've got Karina White and Natalie Duval. Hello. 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 Thank you for having us. 
And that's all. Do we think the best thing, maybe, because there are so many voices today, is everyone to go round, say your name, like we're on a quiz show, <laughs> tell us a little bit about yourself. <laughs> um, so, Endy, should we start with you? Yes, yes. My name's Endy, which is like Wendy without the W. I always like to say that nice and clear. <laughs> and um, I'm one fifth of the Dope Black Mum. Um, I'm an actor. Um, I'm a writer. I teach as well. I teach acting. And um, I have one son who is nine. So um, I'm delighted to be here today and thanks for having us. Ah, thank you. Karina, you're next. Right, so I am also one fifth of the Dope Black Mums podcast. I am a branding and sports marketing specialist. Uh, I sit on the board of um, an organisation called BCOMS, which is the Black Collective of Media and Sport. Um, I'm a school governor. Um, I have loads of other projects <laughs> that I do. I don't know how I manage them all and balance them all. Um, but yeah, I have one daughter who is 10 going on 25. And yeah, that's, uh, that's me. <laughs> Amazing. Natalie? Hi, I'm Natalie. Um, I also trained as an actress. I went to the Brit School of Performing Arts whoop, whoop, um, and studied at East 15 as well. Um, I have a degree in drama and English and a master's, actually. Um, but like all actors, you always have to have that side hustle. So I'm also a <laughs> marketing um, manager for one of the biggest energy drinks in the world. I won't say the name, but they're very big and you'll know them because they give you wings. Um, and I also <laughs> have my own business. So I um, created Christmas decorations of colour um, at Christmas time, just so that on the Christmas tree, we could have fairies that were brown just because I couldn't find any fairies that were brown when I was looking. Um, I have two daughters, um, Sophia and Olivia. They are six and nine. I'm a single mama. I'm the only single mama in our Dope Black Mums little five that we have. And with all that, I'm also the party planner, the cook, the hairdresser, the PA, the taxi, taxi. the bank, yeah. um, the cleaner, um, the organiser, the accountant, the stylist. Natalie, you're making me feel tired. <laughs> I'm exhausted. I'm exhausted. So, yeah, just, you know, we, we do, we are, we're super women, all of us. So it's just, um, mm. yeah, it's a lot, but I wouldn't have it any other way. So how did you you all come together in the first place? Um, so mm. <laughs> it's a bit of a weird one. So um, there is a, another podcast collective called Dope Black Dads. Marvin Harrison that founded Dope Black Dads, his wife Nina Harrison um, founded Dope Black Mums. And essentially we were all in a WhatsApp group together. So we have a safe space, which is the WhatsApp group. We've got two of them. And um, Nina basically said, who's free to record a podcast on X day? And we were like, Natalie and I were like, we're free. And the Nadra was like, I'm free. And then Natalie and Endy are best friends. So Natalie was like, yep, yeah, my friend will be free as well. <laughs> and, uh, I just dragged her along. Yeah, Endy's the worst. <laughs> You'll get to know, Endy is the worst one when it comes to checking her phone. So by the time she would have seen that message, it would have been about five days later. So Natalie yeah. was like, Endy will be free, it's fine. And then um, we came together and uh, recorded that first podcast. And considering we were four, five, women who've never done a podcast together didn't know each other really um you didn't even know each other because I've listened no. to that first episode and you wouldn't think that to be the case at no. all only Natalie and Endy knew each yep. other previously none of the rest of us would never kind of met in person or interacted it was like the first time was recording that episode and then a year later here we are <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I think that was what was really nice as well, because we didn't know each other in a way and because we are so different. We all had, mm. obviously, a, there was a commonality in our experiences being black mothers, but also we had such different life experiences that we kind of realised we didn't often agree on anything, which we which still don't. Really <laughs> <interesting>. <laughs> we still don't. But isn't that important as well? You know, because you should all have different opinions. It's that thing of you might Absolutely. be black, that one thing yeah. you've got in common, but actually you're still five very different individuals who are going to have, yeah. you know, and, and it's really interesting whenever you're talking about subject, hearing all of your different points of view. And then hearing how one, some of you might go, actually, I did think that at first, but now that I've heard that, maybe I'll change my mind. And I think that's really interesting. We always call ourselves the Spice Girls of <laughs> black mums. Like, there's one for everyone, basically. Whether you are, you know, very religious. Um, Nanajua, she, Christianity is her, her core. That's where she comes from. Um, whether you're a vegetarian, vegan, whatever you are these days, ND, I don't know. Um, <laughs> these days, I've been a vegetarian my whole life. I've never eaten meat. These days, but have you upgraded to vegan? That's what we well, want to know. Yes, I've kind of. I, that's what she's talking about. I'm kind of transitioning to veganhood. Yeah, but also though, Natalie, it's really important. I think that because we are black women, and often in the media, you don't get that full, holistic, rounded view. Um, often it's kind of like the angry black woman or the single mother. And what was so fast, fascinating about our WhatsApp group is we had women on there that were doing their own. Um, you know, sustainable living, growing their own vegetables, through to women who are lawyers, through to women who are, you know, just such a plethora of women. And we were like, actually, that's important. And we need how that many, How many women were on the WhatsApp group? Um, so when we started, I'd probably say there was maybe about 60, would you say, Natalie? Around yeah, 60. about 60. Um, as of today, because I did check today, we've, we've now got two WhatsApp groups. And across both of them, there is three, about 315 women across both Is it of them. just lighting up all day long? Oh, yeah, so, my goodness. So, Endy's, like, nodding her head. She doesn't even check her WhatsApp, so... No, I can't I don't do even that. know if Endy knows what's going on in the group. Um, but, yeah, it's literally just, like, message after message. But what is so lovely about it is that over the last year, these women have grown together with people that a lot of them had never met before, didn't know, live in different parts of the UK. We've supported um, women through their divorces. We've supported women through baby loss. We've supported women through new relationships, through homelessness and, you know, being finding their feet again or finding themselves again. Um, and I think that's what's really, what I really love about the groups is that, a lot of these women never knew each other before. They would never be friends with the with other mums like that because they're so different. But actually, they come together. We do brunches um, every month. We've had um, we did a live show last year that sold out in like twenty four hours. We had to release more tickets, and these women, I would probably say. 30-40% of the chat is about parenting and the rest is about motherhood and womanhood and everything that and accompanies that. Yeah, and sisterhood. So mm. I think for a lot of people it's been a lifeline and it's been a way to connect people globally um, via technology. I think spaces like that are so important. And you know, it's why I even created this podcast, because when you're looking at other narratives and, and feeling like, why don't I fit into that narrative? Why, don't, why do I feel like I'm failing? In my, in my case, it was, why don't I feel like motherhood is wonderful? Why aren't I taking it like a duck to a water? And actually, when you find yourself with a group of people who talk honestly and on your level, suddenly 
your confidence grows. And that's obviously what you're doing for every single woman, every single mum that is part of that WhatsApp, because they know they're not on their own. They're so supported and they can come at you with anything because the judgment is taken out of it. Yeah, the judgment's taken out of it. And also, um, there's a commonality between us all. And like we said, we're, we're all black. And so just having that having that space, because there isn't really a space like that. You know, I when I had my children, I went on to the normal sites like, you know, Net Mums, Mums Net. You know, there's some amazing sites out there that are really supportive. But I, can't, I felt very lost on those sites. And a lot of my issues, a lot of my experiences was not shared with the rest of the, the people on those sites. And I, I just, I was lucky that I had girlfriends and I had a good sisterhood around me in order for me to talk. But a lot of women don't have that. And that's what this space creates. Yeah. What were your own childhoods like? <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> Where do you start? Wow, I love that. Giovanna just so, goes straight in. I, do you know what? I'm going to tell Endy to go first because I think... Oh, um, so you can I, think of your answer. No, do you, uh, no, I, no, I've got a really interesting childhood, but I think for Endy, mm -hmm. reading... So Endy did a blog um, last week and she's released part two today and it's yeah. entitled Being the Only Black in the Village because she's mixed heritage. So I think your childhood's actually really interesting, Endy, and it, <clears> it's something that I resonate with but don't fully res resonate with because I'm not mixed mm. so mm. so I um yes I grew up in out of London my parents moved from South London to a place called Forest Row really lovely bohemian kind of little village um about an hour away from London um and yes that I did experience quite a lot of of racism um and it's something that I don't think about. I left that village when I was 16 and it kind of feels like another another life. But it did, it was a melody to my, my childhood in a way, particularly, well, teenage years, it kind of accelerated. But I had loads of wonderful things about my childhood, but it was just me with my blonde hair, blue-eyed uh, blue mum living in this in this village. And I didn't actually know anyone who looked like me, which was quite challenging. And then obviously faced with the kind of um, some micro kind of aggressions, but some quite overt sort of racist experiences. It was quite, it was quite hard to negotiate. And actually where we are now in this movement, Black Lives Matter movement and what's going on politically in today's kind of landscape definitely has made a lot of people kind of um, speak up and talk about experiences that they buried quite sort of far down. So Yes, so I live obviously in South London, so I have a very diverse life now. And I, I've got people, I know people from all kind of walks of life, all ethnicities, and my, my son does. And that's really important to me. But it, it also brings home the importance if you do live in areas where there aren't many brown faces, it can feel like, oh, this is not relevant to me. And I think it absolutely is. And actually, probably we have to do more work in those spaces um, to make sure we move on from the kinds of experiences mm -hmm. I had. <laughs> yeah. And did you all think about uh, becoming mums and having families of your own? Was that something you thought of? At what point did you think that might happen? I, I definitely did. I um, Endy was one of the first people in our group of friends to have her baby. And my baby is nine months older than, um, younger 
than her baby. So literally, I you literally saw. I literally saw him. and was like, I've got one. I've got an idiot. I held Miles in my hand, and I was like, This is it. I want one. And literally, so she she started it and um, <laughs> gave, gave me the confidence to be like, Yeah, let's let's do this. Because I think sometimes, whatever age you are, I was 27 when I had my first child, or t- going on 28, and whatever age you are, it's still kind of like. <gasps> Oh my goodness, I'm pregnant. And I think I, I was fearing telling my mum I was pregnant because that meant she would know that I've had sex. And it's like, and even though I've been living with my partner for like three years, we'd been together for five, like, I still didn't want her to think of me having sex. So, you know what? I felt like that third time round because I had two and I was like, you know, we're going to leave a massive gap. And then it just, surprise. So I felt really weird telling them, you know, because then yeah. you have to go, yeah, we had sex and we didn't use it. It was not planned. You know, then they kind of like, you know, it's really weird then. It's, yeah, it's so awkward. It's That's how I felt yeah. as well. I was like, I didn't want to tell my dad that I was pregnant because I was like, now, I, now my dad's going to know that I'm having sex. And I was like 25 and even like now, I'm like, it's weird. My dad knows that I have sex, like yeah. sort of thing. So, it, yeah, I totally feel you with that one. <laughs> totally feel you with that one. I was um, 27, yeah, when I had when I had my son, and it was like I'd been with his dad for five months. I was in the process of buying um, my, a flat, my first property, um, and I was filming some, the Channel Four show, and it was like the literally like completely unplanned. But also on some kind of weird subconscious level, I'd never been pregnant before. I kind of let it happen. So I say it was unplanned um, on a logical level. But, you you know, I was kind of completely in love and who knows. So it was terrifying. I remember my mum being like, that's it. You know, your your life's over. That'll be the end of any fun. And I, and I was in some sense so fearful that my life was going to be over and it was going to be awful. That when I had him, I, I just was so unprepared for this love that I felt. And... And how amazing and, and fun and awe-inspiring the whole thing was. So in a way, being so terrified kind of served me well. I think sometimes when women are like, oh, it's going to be amazing and perfect and wonderful, then it can be, yeah. a, you know, the disappointment comes. Whereas I think because I just was so like, oh, my goodness, what's going to happen? Well, there's that massive pressure, isn't there? There's that, not pressure, there's that build-up of the moment where you meet your baby, where you're meant to look at them with such love and just be hit with, you know just this rush where actually a lot of people look down and they're like oh god this is so overwhelming what is what is what is this who are you you? it's hard to admit (laughs) yeah and it's hard to admit because you've spent nine months going oh I love you baby I love you and then this massive thing happens you push them out that's strange and then they're on you and it just feels so bizarre it's also and it's also quite weird for me um I'm quite a dark complexion and my children's father is um, slightly lighter than me but with my second daughter she came out and she was white and that that threw me completely and I was just like so where's my where's the where's my child who like I felt like I like it was an East Ender plot where someone had come and taken my child <laughs> swapped it with the white one and tried to pass it off as mine because I was like whose child is this and please can I re- have my one returned because she was just she was she she just looked completely white she's she's found her color now and you know but <laughs> you know she but she's still very light skinned and I just didn't recognize her because my other my oldest child was came out and she was very dark she she was basically my complexion and so I instantly recognized her as my child and so I, I felt a bit detached from that whole situation because I just didn't recognize who this child was 
Mm. I think there, there's definitely that thing. And I think maybe it's the second as well, because you already feel like you know what your child looks like, what your right. child will look mm. like. It's that weird thing. How long did it take for that to kind of ease up and that bond to form? It took a couple months because also she just mm. cried the whole time. Yeah. She didn't she didn't stop crying. I think it she didn't get to, when she started talking, I remember Andy saying, God, I, I forget that she can talk because she just <laughs> cries all the time. Like it's it's so weird to hear her actually talk. And like when I say she cried all the time, like we took her to the craniologist because I thought maybe maybe something's wrong with her head. Maybe she's had a hernia. Maybe she's trying to tell us something because she just did not stop crying. And like all things with babies, usually like with colic and everything, they just grow out of it. And that was the answer. She literally just grew out of it. And she's a lovely, happy, sassy, diva girl. But she's just, she's full of life now. But yeah, those, that first three months was the hardest that I've ever experienced because she just would not mm -hmm. stop crying. And wow. it's so hard when it is hard, when it's hard like that and they're crying. It's hard to feel the love because you get the mum sweats as soon as, you know, any sound is made. Yeah. Going out and about in public is really hard. Yeah. Even think, I don't know if you fed, but uh, breastfeeding was difficult. Even thinking about because then the mum sweats, you're slippy. It's just not nice anymore. Yeah. You know, all of that. It's just, and, and people are looking at you as if you're meant to know what you're doing because you're the mum. But actually, we're all just making it up. And sometimes I used to feel like any stranger, do you know? Do you know what to do yeah. with this baby? <laughs> There's a lot of pressure, you're right, to just be like, ah, you know, some kind of Disney moment. And it's not always like mm -hmm. that. <laughs> I think it's tough yeah. because um, I absolutely hated my pregnancy with a passion. I hated it. I hate everything about well, being What pregnant. didn't you like about it? I had morning sickness from, I think, month two of being pregnant right up until I gave birth. It was awful. Um, like, I was in and out of hospital because I couldn't keep... So the first... Um, I'd probably say the first trimester and a half, um, I couldn't keep anything down. So anything I ate, I would just vomit it back up again. So then I had to go into hospital to be put on a drip because I wasn't eating, I wasn't put, like keeping anything down. And then the halfway through the second trimester, it switched to that as soon as I was hungry, I would start feeling sick and would start vomiting. So as soon as I'd wake up in the morning, I'd run to the toilet and just start vomiting. And obviously your stomach's oh. empty. So then I'd eat something. And then once that settled, I'd start feeling sick again. And then if it got to the point where like my stomach was completely empty, I would physically start like vomiting and everything. And that was literally for the whole eight, I'd probably say eight and a half, seven eight months of my pregnancy absolutely hated it but then I guess the 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 bonus came that um when I had my daughter I was only in labor for about five hours maybe four oh, four and a half five hours I didn't even have time hate to women like, like you no honestly <laughs> nah it was so honestly it was ridiculous we were on the way to we we're at home and I rang the hospital and I was like yeah I think I'm in labor blah blah and they were like yeah because it's your first child you know you can come in but we'll probably send you home again blah 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 so my daughter's dad was like well if I take you down to the hospital and you know they're bringing you back home I'm not taking you back down there again and I was like, what do you mean? Like, Charming. What do you, mean? you can so, walk. Yeah, I was like, what do you mean? So I remember like saying, okay, fine. So I went and sat in the bath and literally like I could feel the contractions coming whilst I sat in the bath. He's sitting playing Call of Duty on the PlayStation like with his mates, with his little headset on. And I can oh, hear him God. saying, oh yeah, like I don't know how long I'll be able to play for because, you know, I think Karina's in labour, blah, blah, blah. So anyway, we got to the hospital and we went to the... A&E department for women 
and whilst he went and parked the car. So I went in and I said to the lady, um, yeah, uh, so they've told me to come here just to be checked, but I think, you know, you're probably going to send me home. And she went, darling, you were in labour. You need to go to the labour ward. She said literally <laughs> she could just look and see. So they took me through like these like theatre rooms, like a back way to get to the labour ward. Got there, they um, put me in like a broom cupboard, like a really, really small room. Um, checked me over and they were like, right, you're four centimetres dilated. You need to go and um, go and uh, do a urine sample and whatever. So I was like, fine. The time it took me to go and do the urine sample and come back, I was like, guys, I need to push. I feel like I need to do a poo. Like, I need to push. They were like, no, no, no. I'm like, seriously, I can feel something in my bum. I want to push. So I literally went from like four centimetres dilated to fully dilated in the space of like 10 minutes. So wow. they had to take me out of the broom cupboard and put me in like a proper room. And as we were walking through like the doctor station, like a contraction came and I was like, <laughs> and then afterwards the doctor was like, yeah, we thought you were going to give birth in the middle of the hallway. <laughs> so yeah, she so just, five, she, five hours, Karina. Well, I would probably say that's five hours from being like at home nap. I'm really sorry to break this to you. By the time I got to the hospital, I was probably, she probably, it was so quick. My sister came with like water, charger, like bags, you know, like everything getting ready for like the long haul to be my birthing partner. She walked in the room and I was holding my daughter. Like, <laughs> literally, wow. by the, from the time she I got... She must have been gutted. She was so upset. And then like, I was meant to be her birthing partner when she had my niece and nephew. And when she had my nephew, um, it was just so complicated. I think at one point they thought she wasn't going to make it through. So they wouldn't let anyone into the room apart from her partner and then the second time um, when she had my niece um similar it was just she was she was really struggling um her her uh, her heart rate kept dropping every time she had a contraction so they wouldn't let me in the room for that either so I was like I was here but they just yeah they wouldn't, wouldn't you're just not in. destined to be it's, going through that together <laughs> it's just not <laughs> destined at all but you know it's um I think where my 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 labour was so straightforward, didn't have any pain relief, nothing. The most I had was stitches afterwards. Um, having my seeing my sister's experience really hit it home for me. Just how dangerous um, labour can be. And I know after she had my nephew, I remember um, we they let us in the room to see her, and um, I was talking to her, and she was really out of breath, and she's like talking to me, she's like. <sighs> And the doctor came in and he was like, oh, I'm just going to check you over. And he was like, oh, you're really breathless. How long have you been breathless? And she was like, oh, like, we're really laid back. So she tried to play it off. And she was like, oh, only like five minutes, I think, just because I got up to go to the toilet. And I was like, no, she's been breathless since I've been in here, which is about 20, 25 minutes. So then he asked her, like, how many times has she changed her pad and how often? And I could just see his face drop. And he basically said, right, we need to get you into theatre um, because she was bleeding internally. So I really felt for my brother-in-law because it was like, do you stay with your newborn baby or do you go with like your partner? And I was like, it's fine. I was like, Andy, it's fine. Go with Charlene. I've got Alfie. It's not a problem. Like I can see, he was like, are you sure? I was like, it's fine. And yeah, basically they said that if they hadn't caught it, she probably would have died. She literally was bleeding out and just of the complications and you know my nephew was born with forceps and it was just so traumatic and looking back I'm like that really hit home for me just how dangerous 
um, childbirth actually can be for a woman. And we've seen in the last couple of years as well, the statistics around black women, which is even harder. And I was speaking to someone Mm. the other day, actually, about how difficult it is having that statistic put on you. Suddenly, Mm. like, so when you're now in that situation, there's that other worry of just that this is a life and death situation. I imagine for your sister, obviously, she's not with us now to talk about it. It must play on your mind after you've been in that situation. And then you hear statistics like that. This, the reality of that. Yeah, I think it's tough because knowing that and, you know, we've spoken about this a lot amongst ourselves about the statistics and what could be the reasons for that. And um, we've lent our um, voice to a documentary that looks into it. And I think it's it's so difficult because not only are we five times more likely as black women to die during childbirth, we are also more at risk for our children to be stillborn or to be born prematurely. So you couple that with everything and then you it actually really starts to hit home for you just mm. how disadvantaged we are as black women and as mothers if we choose to have a baby. It's like Russian roulette. You don't know if you're going to come out the other end of the nine months alive or whether your baby's going to be alive or whether your baby's going to be born prematurely. I think... Because well, we all know... As, sorry, Andy, you go. No, I was I was just going to say, I think one, one thing that's really positive that's coming out of this dialogue that we're kind of all having at the moment is getting people to... Um, embrace the term anti-racist and to kind of interrogate not just racism out in the society but also within ourselves you know any unconscious bias we have I know there was a study that looked into this very thing around um, uh, women in childbirth black women in childbirth um, and they found that often it, it, it could often be sometimes uh, black or women of color who are or men of color who are midwives who also are still still susceptible to unconscious bias that will think oh if they've got to look at uh, look after two women will they go perhaps for take more care of mrs jones who's there a white middle class lady with her partner who's maybe more likely to complain or assert herself than um you know a lady here who's of ethnic background or whatever and so it it really hit home to me that study how it isn't kind of a black and white issue it's very much around these preconceived ideas we have of how black women can handle pain um sometimes race and class come hand in hand how assertive certain people can be from different demographics compared to others they all play into i think you know what can happen when a woman and and another midwife is in that situation because it's not obviously intentional i don't think any Mm -hmm. midwife goes into work thinking i want to not look after any particular demographic it's much more subtle, these nuances, but they do need unpacking. And I think that's one positive that's come from this dialogue at the moment. Yeah, because it's one thing to have the statistic, but now it's it's breaking it down to ensure yeah. that it's... Yeah, why yeah. why are these things happening? And it's I think it's multi-layered, obviously, but definitely one thing is is this unconscious bias that, that you know, we, we're all susceptible to. I keep saying it's not something that only affects... White people, you know, black people can have the same thing. We can listen to a certain voice with a certain accent and that makes us think authority, this, that. You know, we, we, all, we all are living in the same society that perpetuates some of these, some of these ideals. Um, and so I think, yeah, we, we can all do work to unpack that, however uncomfortable mm. it is. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and it is. I think it's sitting in that um, that discomfort, isn't it, and working through it because unless we do, nothing changes. And I think that's across the board. Everyone is feeling this discomfort because 
I, you know, you have your safe space where you've been talking about issues like this for years, whereas everyone else is kind of like, oh, I didn't even know I was, I, I'm not racist. I didn't know this was a thing, but hold on. There's all these things that I'm, I'm a part of this system and it's unpicking it and feeling uncomfortable and having those conversations with people. And, um, you know, even with, it's very difficult as well, I think, because everyone's telling you different things. And, and actually, Natalie, I think you said in one podcast, I think it was you, you said, oh, I've written it down somewhere. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm not an expert, I'm just black. Yeah, and I think that, that hit the nail on the head. Yeah, yeah it's, um, so it's interesting. So I know that some people are like, oh, you shouldn't talk to your black or brown friends about different things. But actually, it's unlocked so many conversations that are really fundamental in friendships as well. And all these different experiences and stuff. So as much as it's difficult to have conversations, I think find the people that are comfortable having conversations with you or comfortable to be uncomfortable with you and go for it as well. Because I think that's the only way that we're ever going to be able to change stuff. Um, back on to pregnancies and labour. Natalie, <laughs> <laughs> you've had you've done it twice and you didn't like the fact that Karina's done it in five hours. So Listen, come on. I, just, I find that just really disrespectful that she did it in <laughs> five so, hours. So, I'm so sorry about that, Natalie. No. Yes, but that I, was... You know, take my womb next time. It's fine. <laughs> Literally, no, my first time was 36 hours so it was like it was it was horrendous and um the second time was quicker the second time was was um, maybe about seven seven eight hours and but it ended really badly with me hemorrhaging and bleeding out and um not not great my children's father he said that when he saw me it looked like someone had opened a bottle of coke and just poured it between my legs because literally I was just blood was he was he thought that's it then I'm going to be a single dad because how can she live without all that blood inside her? He was he was so confused, but um, it was a lack of iron and all my blood wasn't clotting. And so when the baby came out, basically all the blood that was behind the baby just came out with it. Um, so, yeah, so the second time wasn't the greatest. The first time was 36 hours. Um, I've had one with an epidural, one without an epidural. I will always go for the epidural if I ever do it again. Like I, I don't like I'm not a martyr. I, I will take the drugs. I'll take them all. You don't get an extra medal. Yeah, you, exactly. I'll take it all. I don't mind. I don't mind. So I, I'm not, I can't it, relate. No, sorry, you know, no, I can't relate. I'm sorry. Andy did it in a pool <laughs> with no gas and air. Even you just did but it. In I a didn't pool. have that. You yeah. know what, Andy? High five to you. Team High no five, drugs. Karina. High five. I mean, I did want the gas and air, but the woman. So we, I had a home birth, and we were living on the fifth floor with no lift. So it was, it was. I was why not I like a challenge did you have a pool up there as well yeah we, so we hired a pool but my were you not my, worried it's they're heavy that they'd fall well, through yes I, I left it even in the middle I said look the pool is is dad's is the dad's that's leave that to him which was a concern because <laughs> <laughs> he's like very very laid back and I remember being like, oh, you know, I think we should probably we should probably check the pool and like, unpack it. And he was like, oh, it's fine. It's fine. So literally, while I was then starting labour, he then had to go and sort the pool out, which he hadn't even opened from the package that was outside the door. <laughs> oh, no. So I was just on my own, obviously, the whole of it. Um, and he was sorting all the pool out. And then it got to a stage where he was like, OK, we need to call the midwife. And... Um, because uh, he was supposed to be helping me count the contractions. And, of course, doing that in a pool went out the window. So let's call the midwife. And we called the midwife, didn't come. Called again, didn't come. Called a third time. And um, and the midwife came. But basically, apparently, the other midwife 
had her car had broken down. I don't know. Again, you kind of question back and think, oh, what was going on there? But anyway, eventually one midwife arrived. She was an amazing woman. And she just said to me, she got me out of the pool and I no waters had broken. And I, I still wasn't sure. You know, you see it on the films, the water breaks, it's like the beginning of labour. I hadn't had a show. I hadn't had the waters breaking. So I kind of thought, is this actually labour? Maybe she'll come and just be like, it's Braxton Hicks and I'll feel like so embarrassed. And she, she came and she was like, okay, no, you're eight centimetres. So you're, you're nearly ready to go. And I was like, oh yeah, where's the gas and air? Because I was excited that she could bring that, you know. <laughs> and she was like, oh, I'm afraid because of what's happened, I've got to break it to you. We're just going to have to have this baby. And I was like, ah, you know. And so I just got back in the, I, I really like being in the water. I got back in the water and yeah, two hours later he arrived. So it was actually, I mean, I just, I do remember there was a big mirror in the in the lounge where we had this massive mirror oh no you don't want to see a mirror you don't want to see yourself doing it also i put like i I made my partner i was like we have to get these blinds sorted because the blind spray you've got to do this you've got to do that i had candles of course while it was all happening that went out the window i wouldn't have cared if like arsenal stadium had been looking over me do you know what i mean i was literally (laughs) and i just remember looking up into the mirror and i looked like a cow i looked like an animal (laughs) You know that you know the face you when when you see your children do a poo, they just go in, inward, the inward poo face. I had the inward poo face, and I just they were talking and they were playing music and it was all really chilled out. But I was just in this. Poo I love the face. fact that now, almost ten years later, that is what you take from your birth. You always see that face yeah, when you think of yourself in labour. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> But, Nendi, can we just go back to the fact that he was just... Why is it that dads, some dads, are just so laid back? My one was playing Call of Duty on the PlayStation. Yours is just like, yeah, you know, I'll do the pool as and when, was, you know. I, I know, but I, then, I guess I think I'd prefer that than a panicky dad. Like, I remember we went, to, we went to an antenatal class and um, I remember one time the, 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 the lady was going through everything and all of a sudden he was an older man, older bald dad. He just keeled over. And we said, oh, my gosh, what's, is he OK? Like, what's happened? Thinking maybe he's epileptic. And the, the woman said, oh, no, he just, if you mention blood, he just can't, he faints. <laughs> and he fainted. And I did think, oh, my God, like, I'd rather have, I think I'd rather chilled out, Dad, than someone, if they were panicky, that would be, that would make me, and yeah. I, I mean, I don't blame them. It must be panicky to see your partner go through that. But I think, yeah, the chilled out thing kind of helped me in that area. Well, you've got to see what they see, which is quite strange. Yeah, yeah. Because of your mirror, you've seen it. Well, no, no. You've seen what our partners have taken away with them. No, I I was looking, when I was saying the cow, I should have, I should have, you should have clarified it. It was my face, (laughs) it was my face I was talking about, Giovanna, not the other end. That probably looked quite cow-like as well. But I, no, they did say to me, do you want a mirror? I don't know if you all had this. They said, do you want a mirror to have a look? Because we can see the head. And I was like, yeah. And actually, I said no. I couldn't cope with it. Was bad enough just seeing myself like full frontal. I didn't. I didn't actually see his head come out. And and actually, his waters didn't break until he was born. And he just came out in one go. So it was quite unusual. He didn't. I expected to have yeah. that thing where the head comes out. You know, you see it on one born every minute. The kind of alien head. I was scared to see that, but it, it didn't happen. It just came out. So I didn't see that. It must be very hard for the partners to have that view, that image. I, in their I've mind. been a birthing partner before, though, and I must say it's be, it was, I was an actual birthing partner for one of my friends, and um, it was probably one of the most amazing experiences. Yeah. Like it, it really, really was. But she, she was meant to be in the pool. She kept going in the pool, and she was like, I don't want to do it because it's, she felt like it was slowing down her labour. So then it ended up being on the ball, being on the floor, 
And she was in labour, I think, for about... She'd been in early labour from during the day and she only lived just around the corner from King's College, so it wasn't far for us to get there. So we'd been for walks and stuff and trying to, like, speed it up. And I remember when we actually got to the hospital, she was in active labour but wasn't um, dilating. And then everything just stopped, like, Mm. completely stopped. And the midwife went it's coming it's her body's way of because she's been she's been like having contractions non-stop for like six hours she said it's your her body's way of preparing her for the final like big push and I was like really yeah yeah so literally her body stopped contracting for about 10-15 minutes so she laid on the floor and literally it was like she was recharging for 15 minutes so clever yeah and then isn't it amazing the body bam amazing it just it came and it was time for her to push and we were there and we were like, push. And her daughter was born to um, my girl, my girl, talking about, to that playing. (laughs) And um, to this day, I look at her and like, her daughter's like four now. And um, when she's like, being cheeky I'm like look right I was there for your birth yeah I cut your umbilical cord right so pipe down yeah Get, put some respect on my name <laughs> so, but yeah that was like it was true it was it was so interesting seeing it from mm. the other perspective and you know yeah. seeing what essentially I went through I just think if I was a midwife, I would cry every single day, every yeah. single delivery. Oh, 100%. I actually thought after I had my son, I was like, oh, I'd love to be a midwife. I mean, obviously, I'd be terrible. I've never known anything about <laughs> anything like that. But in that moment, <laughs> with the rush of endorphins and oxytocin, I was like, yes, you're... A... I thought they... I still think what an amazing job to do, to be there to facilitate life coming into this world. Yeah. And I'd let you deliver my baby. In... I, I mean, well, thank you, Karina. Thank you. I take that. That's a really compliment. <laughs> but I do, I do think though that to see people in the, in the most vulnerable as well, and you're mm. most kind of, you know, you're just there. I really loved that about having a baby and being pregnant and early motherhood. Is it? It always reminded me a little bit of snow days. You know where where it snows in the UK and everything stops, like even work schedules, it all goes out the window, and and it. It felt like that. There's something kind of wonderfully affirming about being reminded of how non-in control we are, you know. And yeah. I just found it, yeah, I thought what amazing You mean like job. COVID? Which is, like what's happening now. which is what she's Absolutely. been enjoying the most. Yes. She's yeah. been enjoying oh, COVID enjoyed... like no, no one's business. I say that. I've been no. loving it. She still doesn't answer her phone though, so... <laughs> <laughs> She uses the excuse that, guys, I'm I'm just teaching all ta- all the time online. Like I'm I'm, just, I'm teaching online. I'm teaching online. Okay, Andy. Wow. No comment. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. 
PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. So I liken the first few weeks or a couple of months of motherhood to hell. Because I really struggled. I struggled with breastfeeding. And I think because of that, it had a knock-on effect to everything else. Buzz was a crier, the same, you know. Yeah. And and it was that thing if there was this constant adrenaline, I guess, and you're exhausted, but that keeps going. And uh, and I, I found that at some point that did calm down. But I think feeling like that and feeling like everyone else was on the narrative where it's the most amazing thing and having those snow days, so it can make you feel like, oh... Oh, this, I'm the most maternal person, but not to my own kid. I've made a mistake. Can I send him back? You know, but it's really scary to, to even vocalise, especially at that time. Did how, how did you feel, Natalie, when you brought your first daughter home? How did you feel? How were those first few weeks? So after um, my 36 hours of hell... Literally, because I, I, I did bounce back really quickly. And so I was out of the, um, the hospital that very same day. And the next day I was at the hairdressers with the baby um, getting my hair done. And that was a very important thing for me just because I needed to feel <laughs> slightly normal just because I had this huge beard that had grown throughout the pregnancy. Um, I, you know, hadn't been able to keep up with the waxing or anything like that. And so literally having... Um, having my hair done was like the one thing that I was looking forward to the most. And so I got to have it done and, and I know, and I knew that lots of people were going to come and see the baby because it was like the first child as well of the family. So I knew I was going to be in lots of photos. So <laughs> having my hair done was like top priority. But with the first baby, I, I didn't know what I was doing, but I was young. I was 27. I, my friend had just had her baby. I was very much into like, you know, um, just kind of getting on with it. And I thought I had it. I thought I had it down. I thought I was like, I've got this. I've got this. Second baby. Oh, how so wrong. Because you forget that they come as they are and they're not going to be the same. So while I was spoilt with my first child and how good as gold she was in terms of just kind of getting on with life, drinking, breastfeeding, I breastfed her for 18 months. She walked at nine months. She was just a, like a, just a great child. And then my second child, again, it was very traumatic pregnancy. I only could breastfeed her for three months. And then, and then when I put her onto like, um, formula milk, she had an allergic reaction, had to call 999. Um, her face was swelling up. I thought, oh my gosh, like I'm killing my child. Like she, she, I, I was looking at her and I thought she looks really weird. And I looked at her hand and her hands had looked like she'd punched a wall. It was just all swollen. And I thought, oh, 
called 999. They came and they literally went straight to the hospital. And she, yeah, she was allergic to milk. And so for the next, you know, six to eight months, we had to really look at like all the different types of milk that she could have. She was on this nitro something. I can't remember what it's called now. Um, but it was just, she was such a learning curve for me. Whereas my first child was just, just by the book. And so it just, they really do just, they come as they are. You, they, there's no one rule and there's no way to parent the same way that you did with one child. You, it's, you always have to adapt to your parenting. And she does get away with a lot more than my first child does just because I don't have the energy. And so, you know, it's just... It's, <laughs> I think my, yeah, I'm there. <laughs> yeah, I don't have the energy. So whereas my, my first child is really, really um, obedient and like not that naughty... The second child really, you know, she gets away with a lot. And because she's cute as well, so it's even worse. Do you know what? I think it's worse in lockdown as well. Because oh. I just think sometimes you're just like, no, don't do... Oh, go on then. <coughs> yeah. I can't. Oh, just do shit. it. I can't just do, do it. the arguments right now. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm fed up of hearing all the noise all the time. Well, this <laughs> is... Go this, and have it. This was one of the reasons why I didn't send my youngest one back to um, school. Because obviously she's in year one, so she could go back to school. But my oldest, who's in year four... They, they just haven't even talked about that year. They're like, they're going back in September. And the thought of doing the morning school run, having to wake her up but not wake the other one up, and that argument of, well, how come she's not going to school? And how come she gets to stay at home? I thought, that's, that, I'm not, that's not worth it for four weeks until summer holidays. It really, <laughs> that argument is really not worth it in the morning. So kept them both home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that was my reason <laughs> i like it well it's hard though isn't it because it's another juggle you're already juggling so much then you've got to juggle all of that yeah plus i think in a way because i've kept mine off and i think in a way we're helping the school because we're lowering the numbers in school yeah. and keeping it safer so i think if you can i think it works yeah i would be the first one to send my daughter back if she wasn't at her grandmother's <laughs> i would be sending her back to school if she because, was with you right yeah, now yeah, <laughs> she would be going she would be going to school tomorrow <laughs> asap i've had enough we always keep saying this i think natalie said it on um, our first lockdown pod is that we didn't sign up to be mothers 24 hours a day to have the kids around us 24 hours a day we didn't we choose this life like, we corona didn't. chose us yeah we didn't yeah corona chose this life for us we didn't choose this it's no, like although we have to give a disclaimer because one of our day black mums, she has just had she her loves fourth it. baby and she homeschools anyway. All of them. She absolutely She's loves it. She's just like this mother nature, barefoot, <laughs> pregnant goddess. And we are all terrified of her. With I thought I would her. be that mum. I thought <laughs> I would be that mum. I am not. Nanadra absolutely yeah. loves it. Her four kids are under four or five? Five. Yeah. Five. 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 So she's four got four five. kids under five. And I'm like, she's like, you know, homeschooling, it's, you know, I absolutely love it. And I'm like, that's absolutely wonderful for you, Nanadra. Whatever Bible you are reading from, I may need to read that same one because <laughs> I cannot stand, I will hold my hands up and be extremely honest. I cannot stand my daughter at the moment. And I think that's why <laughs> I think she's fed up of me as well. She can't stand me anymore being like around us for like the last three months, three, three and a half, four yeah. months. It's just been her and I. And um, her great grandmother passed away um, a couple of week couple of weeks ago, and they had the funeral. So her grandmother was like, "Look, um, I really want the grandkids to come up, blah blah blah." And I was like, 
whoa, if you're happy for it, then yes, you can come. See ya, bye. <laughs> um, she was meant to go for two days and it's been 10 days and counting and she hasn't come back. So I'm like, I'm getting to the point now. Where I'm kind of like, wow, I don't have anyone to shout at or anyone to say like, <laughs> why haven't you done your schoolwork? There's still food in the lost. fridge. Yeah, there's still <laughs> snacks. Like I don't have to have a go at her for leaving the lights on in a room when she's not in there or leave the TV on in a room when she's not in there. I don't have to hear five times a day, well, what do I need to do? I'm bored, I'm bored. Can we do something? I'm bored. I've been quite like, yeah, I'm at peace with it. So I don't know when she'll be home, but <laughs> I'm quite enjoying this downtime. <laughs> well, we know we've got a long stretch ahead of us because we've got at least until September. But I do think that next set, next summer holidays, if we get there, it, they're going to feel so short. And homework after this is going to feel so easy. easy. Yeah, so true. Without so a true. doubt. Honestly, I just don't know how anyone is getting any work done. I, I feel very lucky that I'm, you know, podcasting my thing. Baby Club has been fine. Like Tom's been home. But writing books, I've been I've had to be like, nah, that can't happen. Because that's when you need your focus time. You need to be focused on that character. And there's just no way that I can do that when I've got a kid next to me asking me what four plus... 10 is you know I'm just I can't I can't do that at the same time yeah no it's so true I think it's and it's, there's different types of focus isn't there like I definitely relate to the writing writing thing there are some things you can kind of do with a child yeah. there and be kind of half in and half out and there are some jobs or some parts of a job where you just need that focus and you have to really carve it out it's a massive change but it's good we get to learn each other a bit more might be a few mm -hmm. more divorces but you know <laughs> <laughs> well, China saw China saw like a, a massive rate of divorces post lockdown. Yeah. So yeah. it'd be interesting to see what the divorce rates are like once like lockdown is completely over here. Yeah. Because <laughs> they did see a spike in their divorces after lockdown. Oh god. <laughs> Something to look forward to. <laughs> Either that or marriage counsellors are the, the demand for marriage counsellors are gonna go up. <laughs> Oh gosh! <laughs> Obviously, an, another massive thing has has kind of hit at the end. Or not at the. I keep thinking it's the end of coronavirus because something else has kind of overtaken it massively. Is the death of George Floyd and this massive wave, I guess, that's happening in the Black Lives Matter movement is more apparent than ever how important it is, and um, and it's a very strange time for everyone. How have you spoken about it to your children? Um, well, I think for me, I try to avoid the conversation with my daughter quite a bit. Really? And then um, she walked in as the news was on and the news was showing the video of what happened. And she kind of froze and just stood there and watched it. And then afterwards, walked out my room and then came back in and she was like, Mum, why do police do that? Why, why is it that police officers in America don't like black people? And... You know, we watch a lot of films together because she's 10. So she's she's much older than, you know, some of um, like Indian Natalie's um, kids. She's wait, she's she's older. So we watch a lot of older films. So like Freedom Writers. And there's another one with um, with uh, what's his name? Denzel Washington, where he takes a group of um black boys this was at the time when integration was happening and then they were trying to get rid of white only schools and black only schools and trying to get them to integrate and it shows how like the two basketball teams had to come together and play together and there was a lot of racism and um tension between 
the, the, the black boys and the white boys who played for the same team. And then it kind of showed how they overcame that and stuff. So she, she knows what this, she knows kind of the history of racism in the US and discrimination. And, you know, I think as a black mother, I was always told from early, you have to work twice as hard as everyone else. And it's something that I've had to pass on to my daughter. She's very lucky because her school is very multicultural and very diverse. Her head teacher is a black, a black Jamaican man. Um, so she's lucky in that regard. But I understand and realise that she's in a very privileged position because not a lot of black kids or kids of colour have that that educational experience in primary school. And so for me, it has always been something that I can't shield her from racism. She's a black girl she it it's undoubtedly that she's going to experience it and she did experience it when she was five and so I had to explain to her then at five kind of you know what this is about what it is and with the death of George Floyd kind of you know explaining and reiterating to her the history of racism in America how it manifests itself here and making her aware of that and understanding the, the causes of that the reasons for that and what we're doing to try and dismantle those systems that perpetuate uh, systematic racism um and you know i went to march last week um i hadn't been out the house really for the last 12 13 weeks and i've been very adamant with her saying you know we've got to be careful we only go out for walks or to the supermarket and you know i explained to her actually yes that's what i've been telling you but this is a bigger issue at hand and we we have a responsibility and a moral obligation to try and affect change in the world. And if it means that we have to go out and do that and protest and march, then this is the reason for doing it. So I'm very open and honest with her, but I always have been. So I guess it's not something new for her because we've always had those conversations. And, you know, my brother-in-law is white. Um, my cousin is married to a white lady. My other cousin's married to an Asian lady. So we have a very diverse family so to her she doesn't understand that because that's not what she sees within our friendship circles and our family environment it's very diverse um so I think she she does understand that it's not everybody this is you know a part some some people in society but actually she also understands the power of using your voice and having to speak out against something if you don't if, if there's something you're not happy about or something that's wrong mm. I find it really difficult to to navigate, actually, how much I tell him versus how much I protect him. Um, what I don't want him to do is to see himself as separate to uh, a system he lives within. Um, I don't want him as a black boy to see himself as, see him and the police as being two opposing things, um, him and authority. I don't want to kind of burden him with, you're going to be oppressed and you're going to, you know, experience X, Y and Z. But like Karina was saying, you know, he is very privileged as and he's got such a mix around him, literally of all nationalities. His friendship group's really mixed as well. And it, and it hasn't, he hasn't heard of anything yet personally, he hasn't had any kind of experience of that. But, you know, obviously his dad is very, you know, is is very kind of politically active as well and is very open with conversations around race. So for me, it's it's trying to tread that line of, of giving him enough information so that he is prepared for the world that we live in, but also still allowing room for that hope that the world that he grows up into will potentially be a, 
a little bit more progressive than the, the world we grew up in. So I do find it difficult. I really do. And I really resent having to do that. I really hate that I have to do mm. that mm. to my son. Because well, you just want your kids to be, to be kids. Be kids. And to have an innocence. A hundred percent. And, and, you know, for my, I know with, with my son, you know, it's like I give him organic food. I, you know, I, he does he does guitar lessons and he does, you know, you do all this investment to then go and, and then go and kind of have to give them this cynicism of the world. But he's really cute. He's a really cute nine year old, but he won't be a cute nine year old for, forever. And um, so it is it's a, it's a challenge and it's something that, you know, all of us as, as parents have to, I know this has brought out conversations around how to talk to, you know, we ask white parents to talk to their children about race, but it's still hard for us. It's not something yeah. we just, it's just I, easy. It's not, I don't find it's not. it easy at all. In fact, I have had many parenting fails over the last um, six to eight weeks just trying to explain things to my children. You know, when I we, when we were in lockdown, I was trying to explain to my daughter about, you know, it's, you know, we're not allowed to go outside. I said, oh, and she'd just been learning about, like, Anne Frank and um, World War Two and all that kind of stuff. And I said, yeah, we're, it's a bit like Anne Frank. She had to stay inside. She couldn't go outside. And then my, my daughter got a bit like... So what does that mean? Does that mean that someone's going to find us and snitch on us? And and mean and I'm like, OK, that was the wrong example. And then because my children are underneath my feet 24-7, they were asking me about periods and um, why, does, why, do you, why do women bleed? And so I tried to explain again what a period was. And I was talking about that we have eggs inside our tummy. And so they were like, oh, so what? We're like birds? We're like chickens? <laughs> and I was like, no, we've got eggs. And, you know, in order for the eggs to become a baby, you need a daddy to help and they were like well how does the daddy help and I thought okay I've <laughs> I've mucked that one up as well so these conversations I know are difficult and with the race one um you know we've had a few of those books you know there's a Rosa Parks books there's um different books that we've always had in our house again I'm I created a business March Muses based on creating diversity at Christmas time and so they have seen Santa Claus that can be black and they've seen a fairy that can be black and so that was really the, our first conversation about um, different colour things just because they thought angels were white and they didn't realise that angels could be any other colour until I created a brown angel for us to put on our Christmas tree. And so we started talking about race back then. But my youngest is six and she does she does understand it. But I don't, again, want to burden her with too much. Um, and so it's a learning process. And that's what I would say to parents listening now, if they want to navigate that conversation with their child and they don't know where to start, start with books, start with puzzles, start with toys that are different representations of what we live in different colors different you know um puzzles that represent different things just just start with that and then it will authentically come about the different races and the different backgrounds of different people no one's saying you have to sit down and say right today we're going to be talking about black people and like that to me is not how it should go it should be authentic so just start to introduce it into your life so it doesn't feel weird when they go outside in this world and they do see people of colour. It doesn't, it shouldn't feel yeah. weird to them. And also no. having that, sorry, no, I was just going to... No, 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 go, go, go. That, just to, that I yeah. think so much of it comes from a, well, 
should come from a place of empowerment rather than the world is awful and is out to get you. But actually, this is who you are and you're amazing and this is your history. And it's not just slavery. You know, your history is actually empires and it's inventors and it's, it's you know, it's a, it's a, a mix of wonderful things um, that exist outside of often what's taught in, in the curriculum. And, and also for any child, I think the more they can feel, um, the more they can feel the importance of speaking their truth and, and not being nice, but being kind. And if you see someone who's not kind and is, is, is being, you know, is discriminating or not being nice to someone based on anything, then we must all speak up about it. And I think if it comes from a place like that, then that's, that's more empowering than like teaching them about the awful things of the world that can just feel like a depressing rabbit hole that, you know, um, well, and also sometimes they can just switch off if you go down that route. They'll just be like, okay, can I have a snack now? You know, they're just not even there because you've just gone somewhere that they can't yeah. get to. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. I think I think the most ridiculous, not ridiculous thing, but the uh, the thing that did make me go, hmm, I don't know how I feel about that because of the way it was worded, uh, was to, um, if you know that you've got an all white group of friends, uh, try and introduce some other, you know, ethnic groups into your, like what? If I was a black person and a white person started cracking onto me, just as my kid could go to their party, I'd be like, what are you doing? Exactly. And also it's, I'm, I'm very, I'm very no new friends. Like that's, <laughs> that's my, that's my motto. Like my group of girlfriends are like my group of girlfriends. I'm, mm. And as adults, it's hard to make new friends. It's hard to yeah. be like, oh, hi, do you want to be friends? And like to make real authentic friendships. And so I think that's really hard as well, just to be like, diversify your group now. It's like, that's impossible. <laughs> so that's why I'm like, okay, let's just start with, start with books, start with TV shows and maybe go to different, different areas of London or wherever you're from, like just so that you can actually enjoy the culture something that's amazing is obviously not happening this year but carnival what an amazing event that is to actually just re and they have a children's day and you get to experience that culture in its all authenticity and it's just amazing events like that that you could just go to and just be a part of but i think even i didn't know they did a children's day yeah, yeah. They, they have one on the sunday um which is meant to be Children's Day, but it's just as big as busy as the Monday. But I think, I think a lot what happens with a lot of events and stuff that is quite heavily focused on Black culture is that you get the negative attention to it or negative reports about what can happen there. And I think with Carnival, you know, I've been and I've taken my daughter, and you know, she has had a fantastic time. Um, I think it was last year that no I went with you last year didn't I Natalie so I think it was the year before I took her and she absolutely enjoyed like loved it and even like there's so many different independence days throughout the year so like Jamaica independence is in um, August so they normally will have um, massive like Jamaica days in the parks and stuff so like Crystal Palace Park normally has one um, and I know one of the parks in North London normally have one and they'll have like a jerk fest where they'll have everyone come out and you know they'll be cooking like jerk chicken and there's music and there's things for the kids and even going to things like that and showing your kids like another culture and being able to experience food and um you know activities and stuff even small things like that can encourage kids to be more open-minded and more knowledgeable and aware of the world and the society that they're living in and I think for me Sunday dinner is a prime example of how I know that I'm black British, but also I'm very, very, very aligned and in tune with the fact that I'm Jamaican. So very often if you were to come to my house on a Sunday, there would be like curry goat or oxtail or like jerk chicken and then Yorkshire puddings. 
<laughs> and it's like it's it's that mix of the facts that I am Jamaican, but I'm also British and I'm black British, you know, so it's 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 that mix. And so if you were to come to my house through the week, the differences of what you would get for dinner, you will see that it will either be like a British dish on one day or it will be a Jamaican dish on another day. Or, you know, we'll get like an Indian takeout on like a takeaway or something like that on the weekends. And I think my, like my daughter is very um, aware of the fact that, you know, we are black, we are British, we are Jamaican. And everything that is encompasses that identity, we are in tune with. For her, I would love for her to be able to grow up and be comfortable in the fact that she is a black woman when she's older and that she is existing in a society that accepts her for just being her and what really annoys me and we've spoken about on the pod is when people say I don't see color and for me if you say that you don't see color that means that you don't see me because how can you look at me and not see color I'm a black woman and it's okay to say the word black it's okay to say oh that black girl or that black boy or that black woman black's not see that's the thing so I was always brought up saying why are you saying black what, why, what, what does the fact that she's black say mean anything? Yeah. So, but that's, she's a black woman. Like, is now knowing that, that we're allowed to say yeah, this. It's, Please it's do. Fi- it's fine. And, like, Natalie has spoken about this where, you know, she'll be at work and someone will be like, oh, the girl over there, which girl? Um, you know, the one, the one with the, um, the red Brown top hair. on. The one with the red... T- OK, there's five people with a red top on. Um, the one with the... You, you know, and they're trying to say anything but the word black. And it's like, it's OK to say, you know, the black girl over there with the red top on. That's fine because it's, it's identifying someone. And, you know, you and it's not racist to say the not, word black. Yeah, you can't <laughs> look at someone and say that you don't see colour because if you don't see colour, then you're not seeing me and everything that accompanies me as a black woman or me as Karina. And it, so, also, it also diminishes the fact that a lot of people, the world we live in, do see colour. So it's like someone saying, you know, I'm fighting for gender equality. And so, well, I don't see gender. There's no need to, you know, and there's no need to do that. Or there's no need to have a pride festival, you know. Like, the, the idea is that, you know, unfortunately... Oh, that really made me chuckle when, uh, sorry, on the podcast when someone was saying about pride festival and about straight festival. Yeah. because you know you don't go to pride go but where's my straight festival yeah exactly you don't like you know sort of petition save the whales and say you should save the tigers you know they, 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 there yeah. is this weird thing and I, and I think it does come down to the fact we do feel uncomfortable when we're talking about race in a slightly different more nuanced way than maybe when people talk about even gender or sexuality there's um, and I think it's I actually think it's because in, in Britain and in the Western world, we've had a very painful history um, as black and white people. And actually, that's the majority. Actually, that's not even, you know, people talk about it's not my ancestors and it's not. And absolutely right. It wasn't the majority of people's ancestors. It was really a few of the landed gentry that perpetuated this this issue, which now we, I think, collectively have never really dealt with or spoken about. And there's this, re- and there I think it's just a hot potato, and no one wants to have it, and therefore it doesn't really ever get resolved. And then we see things like, you know, the clashes on Sunday. It, unfortunately, there is, there is a lot of it out there still. So we we must get through this and learn how to have these conversations. I, I think it's really important. It just baffles me. 
And then, like I said, having those conversations with friends and then just having someone say, actually, when I went here, I felt very uncomfortable because I was aware of people looking at me. Or And you're just like, oh, how, how? How are we in the same room and not seeing the same thing? Because we're comfortable, because we, we don't even, we're not there, you know? Um, so I, I really hope that all these conversations that are happening, and I know you're not educators, you know, you're just sharing your experiences. And even then, not allowed to ask, only if you're giving. <laughs> how do, actually, how do you feel now knowing that, and I guess in a sense, because you've written to white mums, that white mums will be listening to the podcast because it is a safe place for black women to share their experiences. And people like me will be coming in now and go, and just kind of, Obviously, you're, you're women, you're mums, and there's so much that I can relate to. And what's interesting, I think, if we're talking about race, being able to go, oh, like going to the Jamaican festival, whatever, going, listening to the podcast and going, oh, that's interesting. I haven't seen it like that before. So it's rather than kind of going into it and judging, because I don't believe in that at all. I, I think it's, it's kind of going into it with eyes open and kind of going, ah. It's an, it's an education, I think. Yeah. And I think that's perfectly fine, because the same way I, if I want to learn about... Um, Pride, I might want to listen to mm. a gay podcast just to get a bit more of an insight. Although I do have gay friends, I don't need to keep going up to them going, so you're gay, what does that mean? Um, <laughs> you're gay, so what, what do you need to do? I could, I, we can have a conversation, that's fine, but I don't need to interrogate her about her gayness. I could, you know, I can look at that myself. So I think that's, I think I love the fact that white mothers especially will come and listen to this podcast our podcast and educate themselves and because we, we all know that women are superior you know we are the ones that make the world go round and we are we have given birth to the future leaders of this country we've given birth to the future government the future politicians the future you know we're giving birth to the future so you know where it might not be in our lifetime that we see a big amount of change hopefully in their lifetime we'll see it because of of all the education that we have instilled in them because we have educated ourselves. So I'm more than happy for white parents to come and and listen and educate themselves and learn some more, absolutely. I just find it fascinating. And I think I'm 35 now, 35. But I'm learning so much that I didn't... I know that you learn every day, but there's this whole other thing that's going on that I was, I was blind to and I, and I felt like I was aware. You yeah, know, and I and I think it's it's fascinating. The more you read, the more you listen to. Um, so, did you it feel? Starts... Do you feel? Because um, I know a lot of my white friends who are like my some of my best friends. They felt really guilty, and they had. Oh yeah, yes, absolutely. Mm. Guilt, like literally. Yeah, just absolute guilt, shame. Yeah. Um, you know, and just all of that. And, you and then, how you do you manage do that? Because on top of yes, like mum guilt as well. Talk... <laughs> yeah, and you can't talk to people about it because no one knows and everyone's trying to work out where they are in their heads. And, you know, and then you can't go and talk to your black friends about it because they're dealing with their own thing. And, and it's, it's a very odd time to try and navigate your way through. And then at the same time, you've got to try and have the conversations with your kids because you, you want them to, you know, solve this as well and not be part of it, which, you know, I do... 
I think it does feed down, doesn't it? And I think that is the scary thing about a Saturday and Sunday. It's kind of like, what are their kids picking up? Exactly. It's so so hard, isn't it? And it's okay to feel guilty as well. I just think, just just educate yourself. You know, just read the books. Mm. There's so much now resources that have been pushed around in our WhatsApp group alone. Like literally what's, you know, resources. Even when we went into lockdown, all the homeschool resources that were being sent round, it was like, there was just so much going on. (laughs) And that's the same with this. There's just, there's a lot out there. There's a lot of books. There's a lot of stuff to educate yourself. But don't be scared to talk to your black friends. Don't interrogate yeah. them, but have, a, have that conversation. Just so it, mm. so it isn't draining. Definitely have that conversation. Because if you're, you're friends for a reason, the same way that I would talk to my friends about my ex-partner or about my droopy boobs or about my beard is the same way that I'd want to have a fun, interesting, intellectual conversation about something that we are both affected by. It's knowing how to approach something and how to address something. So for me, one of my, my long one of my longest white friends outside of school, Sam, I met her in, in nightclub toilets when I was like 18. And it was so funny how we met. Well, not funny, but it is funny. She's um, originally from Grimsby and she moved down to London and um, she was modelling and stuff down in London when we were like 18. So she... We were in the toilets. There was a massive queue for the toilet. And I got to the front and I went to use the toilet and this girl barged past me and went into the toilet. So I said to her, "Um, excuse you. And she was like, yeah. And I was like, there's a queue. I'm next. And she was like, white people don't queue. You lot do. And then she called me the N word. And, you know, I was 18. I was so taken aback. This was like a club in the West End in like Mayfair. I was so taken aback. And before I could even say anything, this girl swooped past me, punched her and was like, the toilet's free, babe. And I was like, "Okay, (laughs) do you want to come in with me? Yeah, I was like, "Okay." everyone was like, everyone in the toilet was like, ooh. And the girl was just lying on the floor and it was Sam. And you've been best friends ever since. Yeah, we've been friends (laughs) since. Like, I used the toilet and I came out and she went, baby, you, she went, you know what, come to my table. She was like, I'm really sorry about that. She was like, I'm not, no. I'm not going to let someone talk to you like that. And, you know, we've been friends ever since. And go even like when she got married and I had to go up to Grimsby for her engagement party. So she's originally from Grimsby. So she's moved back up there and lives like in a village outside Grimsby. So you still have to travel into Grimsby. And I remember going there and um, I was literally the only black in the village. And I stepped off the train and everyone just kept staring. And I was like, I feel so uncomfortable. And... Um, she messaged me um, a few weeks ago and she said, I just want to know how you're feeling. Like, how are you feeling? And I remember reading her message and I just burst into tears because I was like, I'm drained, I'm tired and I'm really emotional at the moment. And again, I burst into tears over the weekend because she organised a Black Lives Matter march in Grimsby. And there's a really lovely picture of her like holding up a sign with her mask on. And you can even just see like the determination in her eyes. And I think for her, it's, you know, Lincolnshire is not the most diverse of, of places at all. Grimsby really isn't. So for her to, despite everything, put herself out there and say, actually, no, we need to understand our privilege. And I have got friends who this affects and I may not be in London anymore, but I'm going to do this up north. 
and you know she galvanized she got everyone out and I think what she's been doing she has a um she had a very very successful modeling career before she moved back up to Grimsby and she now um like mentors a lot of young girls and you know she said I want to be able to teach them and teach them about white privilege and teach them about you know we don't have a lot of diversity up here but that doesn't mean that I can't create you know a, a, a group of girls and instill in them that actually diversity is a wonderful thing and you know how to be anti-racist and to identify your privilege and to use your voice and you know that's what she's been doing and I think you know she the just saying to me Karina how are you she didn't need to go into anything else. She just simply wanted to know that I was okay. And I think a lot, a lot more people, it may be scary to, you know, approach your black friends and say to them, how are you feeling? Let's have a conversation. But it's also equally scary for us um, sometimes existing in this society and in this environment. So, you know, we're all scared, but at the same time, we're all friends. So and I we're think all we trying to... to navigate it together. And I yeah. think that's what's so important about podcasts like these and pod like, podcasts like ours is that, Although we live in London, we're very spoilt with diversity. And outside of London, there isn't, you know, it's some places aren't. And so it's this digital sisterhood that we are all creating right now with Happy Mum, Happy Baby and the Dope Black Mums podcast, where we are able to reach a whole range of audience and mums who, um, you know, wouldn't even know how to navigate this. And just we were able to kind of just bring them into this digital community. And I think that's what's so important about having moments like what we're having right now. I also think that there's so much can be done in, in the small ways as well. It doesn't always have to be like what's what we put out on social media or in the world. Like change starts at home. And, you know, how many times I know as a black woman, I've, I've let things go when I've like heard someone say something a bit off and I've just thought... I can't, I can't like just kill the vibe and stand up and be like, that's not funny. You know, I, I've done it myself. So I 100% know that many of our white counterparts will do that around the Christmas table. They'll do that sometimes at work, you know, because we're human beings and we, we don't want to cause a fuss. We don't want to be the, you know, the person. To and we're British as well. <laughs> and we're British, <laughs> we don't want to cause a fuss. So we never like to cause, say anything about anything. Exactly. So I think... Those small changes we can make because those are the changes, those things children pick up on. They pick up on if auntie says something that's a bit funny about that and no one says anything. Whereas if someone mm -hmm. says, actually, auntie, that's that's racist. Don't say that. The child will see that. And I, know, and I think that we all can acknowledge that's hard. It's really not easy to do. But if we don't do that, you're just kind of leaving us and them. <laughs> Whereas we need yeah. the middle portion, which I think I hope is the majority of the population who, of course, thinks that's abhorrent to behave like mm -hmm. that, who would never call someone the N-word in a toilet, but equally hasn't really been active in, in looking at the society to it to, to see, well, where can we stop this? Because it, it does happen. And, and, you know, we've been saying it's been happening forever. And so I think it's really important, the small conversations. Yeah. Yeah, because I think for a long time, I know for me, I, I've just felt like I'm not racist, but actually it's just realising that that's not enough, actually. And it is calling things out like that. And it is those those simple, like, little things. Yeah. And it's not easy. It really isn't. But I think we have we have to do it and we have to make it because it's it's almost gone somewhere. I think in today's climate, it's almost 
got to the stage where to call someone racist is worse than calling someone anything. Right? It's worse than the N-word or the P-word. It's yeah. called racist. People get incredibly angry about being called, I'm not racist, even alluding that, to that. Listing and I, all their black friends. Yeah, I've got exactly. <laughs> I went to carnival and I've got, I eat this. And, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, and actually it's, 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 that's that's taking us down the wrong route. You know, it's not yeah. about becoming so PC that we trip each other up and we can't even have a conversation. It's just about saying, OK, examining where some things come from and then just yeah. doing the work, even if it's on ourselves. Like, why do I think this and why do I not say anything if someone says that? And hopefully we'll just have a generation of braver kids that will be ready to call out stuff and stand mm. up for things, you know, when they when they hear it. And I guess part of it is if that is being said by someone that you feel uncomfortable saying something to, if you are with your child afterwards addressing that, yeah. you know, and saying, you know, he said that and that wasn't very, that was, we don't say that, you yeah. know, it's just kind of explaining it in that way because well, obviously we don't want people to put themselves in danger either. Like, that's no. a really... And some, yeah. and some conversations you'll have with family members and you just know you're not going to change their mind. And yeah. you just know that yeah. that's just going to be their thought all the time. So sometimes it isn't worth the fight, but it's exactly what you mm. said. It's talking to your child and going, how did you feel about what, uh, what auntie said? Did you think that was okay? It's weird, isn't yeah. it? And just having that honest dialogue with them so that at least they know where you stand. And that is what yeah. true allyship is all about. We talk about our white allies and that's exactly what we're talking about is that you are, do you are using your voice where we can't. You're using your privilege where we can't. And and I have so many white friends. I have so many white managers where I work who are doing that. And that's what's been making me cry as well. Because I've just been like, thank you for listening. And thank you for, for speaking. So I don't have to speak. That's what, that's what I want. And that's what we should all be adhering to and working towards. Mm. So I wrote a letter, uh, or a book of letters at the start of this year, that were a book of letters all about motherhood. So I literally wrote letters to my husband, my kids, my foof, uh, my baps, all <laughs> different body parts, my phone. So I was wondering from each of you, if you could write a letter to anyone on motherhood, who would it be to and what would it say? Ooh. I think no may pressure. Yeah, no pressure. Wow. I feel like you've got to say something really proud. I think maybe I would write a letter to myself, my own child within yep. me I'd write a letter to like maybe six-year-old ND um just because I've been thinking a lot about how I think when you see things in your childhood you're like I definitely don't want to do that or, I don't want to be like that that kind of parent but I do want that you know we all we look back and we think oh I wouldn't do it like that and do that and sometimes actually even when we're trying not to recreate the same mistakes of our parents we're not we're then we then swing in another direction and and do something else and actually i think it's really important that we try as as mothers as parents to resolve those issues and resolve those things within ourselves so that we can we can parent from a place of of neutral of neutrality of authenticity not from trying to either be like our parents or not be like them or and not from kind of i don't know carrying forth our own pain or our own issues or our own things and putting them onto our children so I probably try and write a letter to myself to be like little Endy this is what you needed this is what you know happened and this is all wonderful and try and kind of just yeah show her some love so that I can maybe be a bit better parent 
<laughs> oh. <laughs> Everyone's like silent. Was that the wrong answer? I mean, no, or, no, no, or my fanny. <laughs> or I, I like the fanny one. I, I think I, I also would. I have a lot of respect. I have a great relationship with my vagina, so I equally could do that too. So <laughs> good, good. <laughs> um, I think I would write a letter to my hormones um, about <laughs> motherhood um, and just how how positive. They have been sometimes and how negative they have been sometimes. Great hormonal moments where I'm just like elated and happy and then also just down sometimes. But my biggest one, which I talk about a lot, is just the hair growth gene. It's like, why does it exist on my chin? Why does it exist in like just nonstop in every other area? Just I would just talk about it. I just want to ask why. And it's lovely that it came through motherhood because I didn't have this problem before motherhood. Um, and I know it's hormones. I know it's, you know, I've had polycystic ovaries. I know it's, it's a mixture of lots of things. But why? Why? Why on my chin <laughs> and not just on my head? That's that would no, be my, my polycystic question. ovaries. Yeah. I get a proper tash. Oh, like, proper. Listen, yeah. and then in, in lockdown, tash it's me like, on the wrong day of the week. It's Ooh. Father Christmas. Like lockdown has been, <laughs> it's been a real treat for my kids, and they've just been like, "What's this, mummy? Why is it all prickly here?" And I'm like, "Because you're here. That's why it's prickly. Because you're here." So yeah, motherhood letter to my hormones. Nice. I like it. Karina, <laughs> um, I don't think mine would be as funny as Natalie and Indy's. I think. Um, I think I would probably write a joint letter to my mum and my daughter. And I think it would basically be saying how both of them saved me in their own way. Um, So following my mum's death, I've spoken about this in like a work environment and the fact that um, mental health within the black community isn't spoken about um, very much. And there's a massive stigma against it and you know I was I was really depressed when my mum died and to the point of I think I woke up one day and I was like right I don't want to live anymore and I was trying to take tablets and everything to try and you know kill myself and I think that period kind of ended with me then having my daughter like four or five years later and I think everything my mum had taught me in the 17 years of me having her in my life of what it means to be a mum I was able to apply that to being a mum to my daughter and I say this all the time that my daughter genuinely saved my life because it was like a, a light bulb went off and it was like right okay okay right I've got this child here I've got to I've got to live I've got to find myself and be Karina again and I think the Karina I am now is is the Karina I was when I was you know 15 16 17 and I think yeah motherhood for me has been kind of me stumbling my way through it for the last 10 years but everything that's underpinned each of those stumbling steps has been 17 years of my own childhood with my mum so I think I would do a, a joint letter to both of them because in their own way they've saved me and brought back the Karina that I know lovely and we end the podcast with you finishing three sentences so we're going to do let's do Endy then Karina then Natalie okay so I'll, I'll start a sentence and let's just bosh this out you're going to finish it all right Endy being a mum means being strong empowered 
being vulnerable, being open and accepting this amazing journey. <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> being a mum means Karina. <laughs> being a mum means not having my life together on a Monday morning when school uniforms should be ironed, washed and ready to go. Uh, being a mother means drying it on the dryer in the car on the way to on the way to school and yeah being a mother means you're never going to get it right and that's okay love it yeah, natalie being so a mum means being a mum means a beard a tash um, time. it means tiredness it means stress but my god it means the most amazing wonderful love that you're ever experienced and just how proud i am to be called a mum. Amazing. Right. Second sentence, Andy. It is, since having a child, I... Have a slightly different shaped vagina. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, actually have saggy boobs that were saggy before anyway, but now I have a really great excuse for them to be saggy, so I'm really <laughs> proud of that. Um, and I'm more... Um, um, softer like you know you you see things on the news and you just cry and you know and, and just more and just more scared because a heartbeat that was in you is now out in the world so a little bit more a little bit softer a little bit more vulnerable that's what's changed I've never heard it described like that before you almost got me there you almost had me <laughs> okay Karina but, uh, since having a child I have not been able to use the bathroom or do a poo in peace very true. <laughs> Natalie, since having children, I um, haven't had a hot cup of tea and my washing machine is literally my second best friend. Nice. And finally, I'm happy when, Endy. I'm happy when I am with the people that I love and when I'm doing what I love and when I'm feel like I'm in flow with with life I guess nice Karina I'm happy when I have an alcoholic when? beverage in my hand <laughs> <laughs> and called it <laughs> I knew it was coming I, I knew it was coming and I you know it. exactly what drink it will be as well yeah it's the Ray nephews I could just yeah I don't know why I'm coming out with all this deep stuff today. I'm like, probably Oprah vibe today. I'm, yeah, you're I'm right. Surpri I'm surprised, Indy, because normally me and you are like, you know, I alcohol. know, I know. So like, today I've just, yeah. Yeah, I'm at my happiest when I have alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> Natalie, I'm happy when? I'm happy when this pandemic will be over and we can go back to some sort of normality of seeing my friends, of taking my kids out and just enjoying and navigating this crazy thing that we call life. Amazing. Ladies, thank you so much for coming on. It's been an absolute joy. Thank, thank you, you for having it's us. It's been thank so you. lovely being here. You're absolutely, you are a dope white mum. Yes! So, yes. <laughs> we absolutely adore you. Yeah, thank oh, you so thank much. You. Oh, I've laughed so much. Thank you. Lockdown isn't that bad when I get to stay up here and do this. So thank yeah. you so very, very much. <laughs>